time has come to retool our playing for ourselves, for our students, and for the greater groove. And the big question remains, of course, what is the future of strings? Come on, let's talk about it. the greater groove podcast the future of strings and this is where we talk about all that progressive cool stuff they never taught you in music school and this show is going to be super cool special show because you know i have a lot of great string players on here but i always have them on one at a time and this time i've got the serious quartet here string quartet in the studio they're taking a quick break from the studio where they are recording they have voluntarily given well they didn't voluntary i asked them repeatedly to give me a few minutes on their lunch hour to talk about some progressive string stuff because you know these guys have a progressive chamber music festival that they run in new york city and if you're not familiar with the serious quartet They've played all over the world. They've played in all the big halls, places like Tully Hall, Carnegie Hall in New York. They've been to China, Taiwan. They go to Europe all the time. They've got a bunch of recordings out. Paths Become Lines came out in 2016. Uh, New World is out now. There's a bunch of recordings that they have with various other artists playing a lot of contemporary music, which is their specialty. Uh, they were recently featured on recording music by Hilary Tan, Evelyn Huber. They're recording some new stuff right now. They're always working it. The Serious Boys, thanks for being here, gentlemen. Yeah. Thanks for having us, Tracy. Yeah, and individually they are on violins, Feng Chunhui and Gregor Hubner on violins, Ron Lawrence on viola, and Jeremy Harmon on the cello. Yeah, so, you know, it's hard to get these guys together in the same room, but I wanted to take advantage of this opportunity to ask them some questions about, like, grooving as a quartet, as opposed to, you know, just a single player, because it's a whole different thing when you bring the whole group together and uh, try to um, make sense out of a groove. So, the Serious Quartet writes a lot of their own material. So they derive their own grooves. They come up with their own sound, their own way of functioning as a quartet. And I'd love to know how you guys do that. Like when you're coming up with new stuff, where does it start? Is it one person's arrangement? Does it come in? Is it a Turtle Island kind of experience where you guys are working it out together and just like yelling at each other continuously till it 
fixes itself magically? Or how do you go about it? Oh, <laughs> uh, we're pretty aggressive. Oh, okay. I think, yeah, there's a lot of ye yelling is the key. There's got to be a lot of yelling. But it has to be in group, so. It has to be in time. We have to yell yeah. yeah. <laughs> the yelling has to be. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, usually um, one of us brings an idea to the group. It may be a really fleshed out through composed kind of thing. It may just be a groove or a chord progression or something like that. Um, and, you know, the nice thing about the quartet is that, you know, we're, we're always open to input from each other. And, and a lot of times that can be a really nice way to, to finalize ideas or maybe change, modify things that we thought were going to work. And then maybe they're not working as well as we thought in rehearsal. So, yeah, there's always at least a little bit of kind of tweaking and refining that goes on um, and, you know, bouncing around ideas, giving our input on whatever, you know, somebody brings to the table. Yeah. Does it, do grooves tend to start from the bottom up on the cello or are they coming out of the, out of something choppy kind of thing in the strings or maybe a f fast, just a subdivided kind of uh a company part, accompaniment part that might be in the middle somewhere, or where do where does it tend to to come from as a group? It always depends on who wrote the piece. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, Jeremy often comes with the groove starting. From yeah, the bottom. I mean, I definitely think from the bottom up. up right. You know, naturally. It could be a yeah. motive. It could be. Yeah. It could be a chop pattern. Right. Yeah. 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 So it's, it really depends. Yeah, we also do free improv, and so that's just somebody play something and the rest of us respond. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Then nobody has responsibility. <laughs> um, hey, I wonder if I was listening through uh, Paths Become Lines and there are some very cool uh, grooves just sprinkled throughout in, on the record, like in uh, Spidey's got some great stuff. Um, Maybe if you guys don't mind, I don't know if you could do this without your music. I know I'm totally putting you on the spot there. You don't have like uh, your parts in front of you. But um, do you got, is there like a, just a killer a groove that you guys tend to do live that you stretch out on? That's a good thing to solo over um, from any of those tunes. Yeah. You know what we could do is, you, you know, that, the, that line that you play that goes over the top. Um, yeah. So, so um, we could we could show you just a little bit of the groove from the track uh, Paths Become Lines. Okay, cool. Um, this was a song that I wrote that was like uh, like 90, 95% through composed, but there was this one groove that kind of emerged in the middle, and I thought that that could be really cool to kind of open it up and let the violins take solos over it. So um, this is essentially just build off three chords, and for me, I'm mainly just playing like power chords, roots and fifths down and below. So we've got like an E flat. <laughs> Which technically I was like an E flat major seven sharp eleven for the uh, for those that are so inclined, and then um, kind of a D minor ish chord, and then an F major seven. But but really, you just here in my part, you just hear the the roots and the fifth. So it's this kind of six eight groove that sounds like this. kind of the foundation of it um and uh i wrote this part for uh the kind of like this motive that goes throughout the piece that's that's sort of like a five eight line that gets superimposed over the six eight groove uh -huh. so it cycles a little bit and uh wow. so Greer gets that you know at this particular point in time so 
If we do those two ideas together, it's, it sounds like this. Wow. <laughs> no, no pressure, no pressure. Very cool. It's a little hard to hear. Uh, you know, the zoom is like breaking it up, and oh man, it's a bummer. Uh, hopefully, it got, oh, yeah. it's a uh, bummer. Hopefully, it's recording okay because I'm not sure how it's coming through. Um, what was that tune that uh, um, that I played with you guys? I think it's maybe your tune, Jeremy. Wasn't there? Uh, do you remember what that was? Uh, there was also more than we are that had the yes, uh, more than we are. That was it. Yeah. Yeah, so that's another one. Yeah, um, that yeah that also you know starts with kind of a cello, a cello groove that's in four, and then Chun Wei gets this really long sort of polyrhythmic line that uh, I don't actually even know exactly what's going on other than I created like a sixteen bar phrase and just threw in a bunch of weird kind of accents um, so that we would sort of kind of rub against each other rhythmically but eventually line up again. Mm -hmm. Um, we could uh, show you the cello part again for that. So, um, so that goes like this. So one, two, three, four, one, two. That's yes. kind of going in four, and then Chunky has a thing over the top. You remember that? <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. stuff like that a line like that where does that come from are you a guitar player as well by any chance oh guilty as charged tracy guilty as charged yeah, yeah. i mean for me yeah i have been playing guitar for about as long as i've been playing cello I started cello a little bit before but um but yeah i played a ton of electric guitar growing up and the, for me that was like the um what really got me started writing music you know i just write guitar riffs basically yeah Still got an old cassette tape in a box with a bunch of my guitar riffs from like 13. <laughs> You're not old <laughs> enough. You're not old enough to have cassette tapes. Oh, I am. I am. Yeah. <laughs> so but yeah. Anyway, so I think I, I very think very much about the riff for sure. Right. And uh, if you hadn't played guitar, um, I'm guessing you would be writing quite differently. Yeah, I'd be practicing my orchestra excerpts still, probably. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure I would. I, I don't even know how to. I don't know how to undo that that evil training on guitar that I. So. 
and, and not just in the uh, approach of keeping time with your hand and that whole, you know, guitar based kind of strumming stuff, but in the just the taste for for the kind of music that gets played on the guitar, whether it's something kind of punky or something kind of funky or whatever, um, having had that background listening to that uh, to music on the guitar and playing playing it in bands and stuff like that uh, changes your whole approach to um, to classical music, uh, I think. Um, yeah. And I'm curious to, yeah. you know, you guys to weigh in on that, how, how it's changed your approach listening to non-classical music. Uh, I know everybody listens to jazz as well as rock and roll and other kind of stuff. And uh, maybe you, you can each take a second and talk about what uh, it, uh, things that you listen that you like to listen to. Uh, what kind of music has influenced your your writing style and your playing style? Um, whether it's bands or particular artists or, or who that is. Maybe uh, Chen Hui, you wanna? Oh, I grew up listening to a lot of um, uh, this singer Sam Hui from Hong Kong. Um, I grew up in a Chinese-speaking household, so yeah. Um, this guy, you know, he's he's named he's he's called the 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 god of songs in Hong Kong. <laughs> so he sings a lot of songs in different styles and genres that I didn't even know what their names were. Particularly reggae in the beginning, I didn't know it was a reggae until much later. Huh. I just thought, oh, that was a. I, like that song i don't know i didn't know why i like that song i just knew i liked it i thought it's because i like the singer which i do which i did but uh there's there's a lot more to that than than just just liking the singer or his singing it, yeah it, it has a lot to do with all the different styles that that he he dealt with throughout his career you know rock and roll 60s rock and and uh, country, reggae, and then much later, you know, 80s, 90s rock, and and uh, a lot of other things, uh, including Chinese ballads. You know, a lot of a lot of different influences in there. I think that actually that was actually how how my mind got opened before I even started learning classical music seriously. So huh. I always had that playful uh, notion of what music should be like. I was I was never in the illusion that you know music has to be nineteenth century romantic yeah. music. Yeah. Mozart. But yeah, to, to me music right at the get go, music was a was a really wide space, you know, to, to, to play in. Yeah. And and uh, where you grew up, uh, I'm guessing there are not a lot of string players who are doing anything uh, however than um, classical playing. I mean, it's one thing to hear singers singing it, but everybody else who's playing a violin is probably playing classically. Yeah. Okay. First of all, the the reason of the violin was because I really like it. I wanted to learn it myself, and then because of that, I always treated it like my toy. It's not something that I that my mom had to sit there and you know watch me practice. It's not. It's not like that. Of course, they would push me to practice, but at the same time, they never said that I cannot try my hands on playing pop music. You know, so and then I, I just find I just found that oh with with these with this with this fingerboard with no frets I could do a lot of nuances that that a guitar can't do or I can 
or I can actually imitate a guitar, an electric guitar, because of that, you know, yeah. doing the bends and all that stuff. So I discovered that those things pretty early on in my life, and then by high school and stuff, I started to imitate, you know, uh, saxophone and stuff like that. Just, just because I hear it in music, and I realize, oh, I can actually kind of sound like that on the violin. That's how I, That's how it all started. Pretty much teaching yourself that stuff, kind of self-taught in terms of the non-classical stuff? Or did you have a teacher who was helping you at all? Largely in the beginning, nobody taught me anything until I got into college uh, undergrad, um, still in Malaysia. And I had a bunch of friends who played jazz. That's how I started going, you know, deeper into that language. And, uh, and then I somehow I obtained a pirated copy of, Sky Life. <laughs> ah, cool. And then I found a bow chop. I was like, how the hell did these people do this? You know, and then I started to experiment on it. I, I went online, you know, thank thank goodness for, for, for internet. And then I found out, oh, that's called a bow chop. How how do you do it approximately? I ordered the music from from Char Music and then I got in touch with Dave Balakrishna and I got in touch with you and a whole bunch of other people. And that's how I that's how I actually discover this whole new world huh very interesting yeah very interesting Yeah. Nice. Sorry, yes. I grew up with gypsy music. My grandfather played in a gypsy orchestra in the Czech Republic, and, and he taught me without music at the beginning. So I always improvised with this kind of music. Uh, my father is the first one in the family who studied classical music, so I followed his steps. Violin is kind of a business in our family. Nice. <laughs> and um, but I was into jazz. I got into jazz when I was 12 years old and I played it mostly on the piano, actually. You know, I studied violin, classical violin in Vienna and Stuttgart. And then I studied at the same time, I started jazz piano in Stuttgart and came to Manhattan School of Music to study jazz piano. No kidding, I didn't know that. Yeah, and I kind of finished the violin in Europe and came here to do my masters in jazz piano and composition. And at the end of my studies, I met a very famous jazz pianist, Richie Byrock, uh, which I took lessons on the piano with. And he found out that I play the violin and he said, play, play with me. And I said, I'm not a jazz violinist. And he said, let's play a Bartok piece. And we played a Bartok piece. We improvised for an hour. And that was 25 years ago. And I'm still playing with Richie Byrock. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And he said, at that moment, he said, you're a jazz violinist. That's what he said at the first time we played together and i guess that's what happened <laughs> and then awesome, i really man. really got into jazz and i tried to put everything i learned on the piano on the violin 
And then, of course, with the quartet now, um, other music came into sight. You know, these guys listen a lot to heavy metal and stuff, and I got into that too. And then the chopping, boat chopping, um, this came all together over time. So um, that's my story. Yeah. yeah, nice, <laughs> nice. And before we get to Ron, I just wanted to throw in here that, you know, you guys, um, you guys do a lot of, obviously, a lot of contemporary classical um, a lot of, you know, composers in your own, uh, outside composers in your own work. Uh, you all are composers as well. Um, and you are uh, uh, an ensemble that, quote, works comfortably at the intersection of post-minimalist classical composition and post-bop jazz, as the Detroit Free Press. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. But uh, yeah, but with the what he didn't mention was the metal and uh, the influence that I have seen just in the last few years while you guys have you guys have been living in New York, creeping in from the influences of people like um, Earl Minion and uh, Seven Sons and who which you guys participate in. Yeah, and uh, and I know Chen Wei plays with them, and there's a lot of this wonderful cross pollinization that's going on in the new music world in New York these days, which uh, I'm really missing being a part of. I live vicariously through you guys, but uh, but there's a, a whole lot of just downtown rock and roll that's also I think a big part of your sound, if I may say so. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. maybe maybe this guy over here could speak to that. Yeah. Uh, yes, like speaking yeah. of the New York scene, Mr. Ron Lawrence, who has been a part of that scene for a good long time. I'm like the Tom Bombadil of <laughs> improvised history. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't pick that reference. So. <laughs> He's a guy from the Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Um, well, I got off the page originally. Uh, you know, I, as a kid, I was a white boy living in big time college football towns in the Midwest. So I didn't know, you know, I wasn't exposed to a lot of different things, but I came east to go to college. And uh, I, what got me originally got me thinking off the page, you know, uh, was um, I had an I took an art history class from this guy named uh, Robert Thompson, who was who was a big big guy in like the African diaspora in the new world. And he introduced me, he had, he had like, of course, the Pata drummers come and demonstrate in his art history class, stuff like that. And I met this guy, Henny Alvarez. This was in New Haven, Connecticut. I met this guy, Henny Alvarez, who was a, uh, a salsa player. Actually, he was more like into Plana, but anyway. And he was part of this whole group of folklorical scene, which was in the late 60s, 70s with uh, the Gonzalez brothers and all these guys. And he, I started playing with him in New Haven, and uh, one thing led to another, and I met, you know, you'd, you'd go and you'd play gigs, and they'd say, uh, all right, you know this tune, it's an E-flat, right? Hit it! And I'm like, uh, okay. You know, you gotta, you're on the bandstand, you gotta, like, jump on the train and move. So that, that was how it first got me interested in that, and what I, one thing I really liked about it was the sort of the anthropological aspect of it, they're not just entering another culture about the food and the hang, but also in terms of the way they treat the violin, like the way they treat string instruments. It's a more percussive slot that they put it in. It's not like Schubert, where you know you have an obligato melody on top, and then you have some fill and some chords in the middle of the sandwich. 
You know, they, they, the, the violin has a different function and you have to learn how to play, use your bow arm in different ways. Uh-huh. You know, either like really at the crunchy, like in tango, or you can be a little bit farther up the bow in almost like a strum blowing thing. And sort of... There's so many more things you can do with a boat instrument than just like Juilliard. So this you know, was so that's kind of what, where I got. Very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. So this is um, African music that you're talking about where there, um, there are bowed string parts in there, or are these your parts that are taking? Afro-Cuban music. From, from Cuba, but there's also music from Panama. There's music from the Dominican Republic. There's music from Brazil. The African, you know, Africa's a big place. And the slaves got brought over in waves from different countries. And they all brought their own culture and their own indigenous music with them. And they, these people, you know, in the 1940s were in Havana. And then and when Castro happened, a lot of them came to New York and hung out. And that's like, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's especially music from the re, uh, religious ceremony. Yeah, like, which um, is really African, actually. It's yeah, more African uh, than the whole Santeria scene in, uh, that's in New York City, uh, the Jesus, the Bata drummers. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a, uh, there's a whole world of music out there. Yeah, what I'm curious about is, was there a place for strings in that music before you were playing it? Uh, that was this. You're saying you were saying that it's this more rhythmic kind of playing rather than the Schubert Schubertian kind of melodic stuff. Was that just you taking the place yeah. of a guitar or a percussion, or what were there strings already in that in the forms? In some cases, that's true. Like in tango, the bandoneon and the violin and the, sure. and the voice basically the three principal when you say the three principal yeah. instruments so that goes back to the 1920s or earlier yeah but and and that was about the italians that's not so much about the african diaspora it's about the italians coming to argentina right tango is different but tango well that's tango is just one but the percussion, the percussion thing in in Jaranga music for example orchestra yeah. aragon is around since 60 years i think yeah they were in the 40s uh, so so there's a tradition of charanga playing uh, playing with violins, and this has a lot to do with the strumboing, actually. Yeah, and that that is very much right up in the wheelhouse of strumboing. When I the came to New York, there was, when I came to New York, there was a band called Jóvenes del Barrio. I don't know if you remember that. I think they were around when you were in huh. New York too. Yeah, it was three violin players with every Wednesday, mm-hmm. and that's huh. how I got into that. Company. No, kidding. well, in the when I first came to New York 70s and 80s, there were many clubs playing salsa, like on the weekends for sure. And there were also social clubs in the Bronx. There was also a scene like an after hours scene that started like you'd play like till 5 a.m. in the, uh, you know, in the clubs or in the Bronx. Then you'd go up to the Bronx on Sunday morning and play pata. You'd play Santeria ceremonies until like noon the next day. And there was string playing traditionally in all of these different aspects. Very of, cool. Of, can, uh, you know, these, these are a tradition from the roots. Yeah, so, yeah. Can you can you give me a quick sample, either of you guys, maybe of, of a charanga kind of groove? Uh, well, you know, it's all about the clave, you know? Yeah. So, you know, it's a... 
so, and then you dun 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 dun. Just something like that. You play that when during the Montuno, you will just play a groove part like as if you were a drum. Right. You know, right. it's basically a two-bar clave, so you play play like that against that, and then you can take solos, whatever. Very cool. Uh, and they got pretty modern, you know. People like Eddie Palmieri started using a lot of jazz harmony. There was a right. guy, Alfredo Della Fonte, violinist, who was very heavy, very progressive player, who played with uh, Tipica Santa Teresa for a long time. Uh, there was an older guy named Puga, Pupi Lagareta, who was a killing player. And this is something that was really interesting to me. You, you know, you grow up in the classical tradition, and you play a lot of orchestra music, and you play your part, yeah. you know? And I met Poopy, and Poopy played everybody's parts. He knew how to play all the instruments. He knew absolutely he could play any he could play any instrument in any band. Awesome, you know the guira, yeah. the violin, the piano, the bass. He huh. knew everybody's part. And this was really I was like, whoa, that's deep. You know, yeah. I just was playing viola parts. Yep. <laughs> that really opened what, up my. Wasn't it Louis Kahn who also was in that scene? Yeah, Louis Kahn was there. He was a trombone player who also played violin. For instance, in the same way that Ray Nance was, uh, you know, yeah. had it was had a violin double chair right. in Ellington's orchestra. Right. There's a lot of examples. Dana Leone is a cellist and a yes. trombone yeah. player, for instance. Yeah, that's right. You know, that's right. A lot of, uh, you know, yeah, you don't have to limit yourself to, to what that. You know, there, there are no limits. You know, like on what it. you can do. What is you, the band? You know. Yeah. Fit in. Make a part for yourself. That's it. That's oh. it. Or don't fit in. Or don't fit in. <laughs> exactly. Speaking of not <laughs> fitting, speaking of, of rock and roll attitudes, let's hear for, for a quick minute from Jeremy, and then I know you guys have got to run, and we've got to play a quick round of Not My Gig. So, um, But before we do, I uh, just want to hear a quick from, from Jeremy, like your background. I know there's a little more, maybe a little more rock and roll. Well, you were talking already, I guess, about the, the guitar. Yeah, there's, there's a whole lot more rock and roll, yeah. yeah. I mean... You know, for me, that was kind of my entry point. I mean, yeah, especially around 12, 13 years old was right around when I started playing electric guitar and when I got really into a lot of the music that was, a lot of the rock music that was big at the time in the mid-90s, which was, you know, like Nirvana, Soundgarden, especially Soundgarden was one of my favorite bands early on. And them, along with uh, Tool, were two bands that kind of like, where I, they were like my gateway drug into odd metered and polyrhythmic writing because, nice. um, you know, Soundgarden has some songs with, that were in odd meters and you wouldn't even necessarily um, yeah. think about it. I was such a huge in fan. Face, it was like, yeah, the way that they use odd meters is great. Like they would stretch a bar of four and put an extra beat in or chop it off a beat early. And so yeah. it, it wasn't super obvious. And, and Tool maybe was a little more obvious with some of the stuff that they do. And then as I got older, I, I got more and more into that I, odd meters and polyrhythmic stuff. So that kind of led me into bands like Mushuga um, and the Dillinger Escape Plan um, right. band were just doing that, taking those kinds of ideas and pushing them to ex more like uh, more to their extremes. And I used to I used to work as a pizza delivery driver when I was 18 and 19. And um, two records or two CDs at the time that I just listened to on repeat when I do <laughs> my route, Calculating Infinity by Dillinger Escape Plan and Chaos Fear by Mashuga. And those are both albums that just made me a much better musician just from listening 
trying to figure out the meter changes and the grooves and stuff like that. And so yeah. even though, um, you know, yeah, I mean, the music that I write certainly will always have those rhythmic influences, even if stylistically they're in a different place, because that cool. made a huge inf impact on me. Very, very yeah. cool. Very cool. And I'm sure an impact on your writing as well. You know, one thing that I really loved about uh, Soundgarden and bands like that was that they would play in odd meters, but they made it sound normal. You know, like Meshuggah and, and a lot of, you know, more math rock stuff. I mean, it's insane. You can't find the one. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of math. But... Um, but I dig yep. odd meters when, you know, you hear a seven or a five so and it's so heavy and just grooves so solidly and organically that you don't you just forget that it's an odd meter and it just feels natural after a while. And um, that's that was one that, of the things yeah, that I loved yeah. about Soundgarden. I'll give you I'll give you a quick example that you probably know is um, yeah. the song Spoon Man from uh, Unknown, which I think it's in seven. So it sounds like kind of like this. Um kind of like the a section of the verse Spoon man. That song. yeah so, exactly <laughs> very cool all right gentlemen well it was very lovely of you all to show up with your instruments and all that but you know why i've asked you all here and that's to play a round of not my gig now i don't know if you know how this works it's based on the uh not my job segment of wait wait don't tell me on npr but I'm going to ask you some questions about something hopefully you know nothing about, although I could be wrong about it this time. But <laughs> yes. serious quartet members, we're going to find out how much you know about Sirius Black from Harry Potter. Ooh, took it there. All right. All right. So do we have, first of all, any heavy-duty Harry Potter fans? No. Good. I'm, I won't right. say I'm a heavy duty fan. I'm, I'm well versed in, in the land of. of uh, okay, so you've done land. some reading. You've done. Yeah. All right. Well, these may be uh, these may be a little too easy for you. We may have to do the advanced level uh, at some point. But here you go. So <laughs> going to give you a few questions here. You get most of them right, and you will mostly have one. All right. First question. <laughs> Sirius Black was an. Animagus, he could transform into an animal. What animal could he transform into? And for extra credit, what was his nickname? Is it A, a wolf, B, a dog, or C, a rat? No, it wasn't a rat. It's one of the first two, but I can't remember. A wolf. Um, yeah. I should know this better. Yeah, the rat was a different guy. Yeah. No, it wasn't the rat. The rat was the rat, that. Rat was um, a different guy. Yeah. Was the dude that, um, like, court sort of carried the dude Voldemort like around. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You guys are narrowing it down. You're getting. You're you're closing in on it. Right, yeah. Let's go with Wolf. Wolf was Lupus. Uh, I forget his ah, first name. Man. And Sirius Black was right. the dog, a big black dog. All right. Well, for extra credit, anybody anybody remember his nickname as a dog? Ah, no. It was no, Padfoot. Padfoot, man. Oh, All right. That's All right. Man. Whatever. Okay. Here's your second question. Sirius Black was killed in a duel in which he was hit by a spell and fell through the veil in the death chamber. Who 
was he battling when he died? Was it A, Severus Snape, B, Lucius Malfoy, or C, Bellatrix Lestrange? Ooh, one of the last two. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, well Lucius or Bellatrix? <laughs> yeah, man, it's been too it's long since I read the books. Uh, Let's see. Uh, I will give you a hint. It was his cousin. All right, let's yeah, let's go. Let's go with Bellatrix. You are right. It was the witch Bellatrix Lestrange. No right. to be slightly mad. All right. Yeah. One right, one wrong. Sirius Black spent twelve years in the Azkaban prison and was the only person to ever escape. What inspired his escape? And for extra credit, how did he do it? Was it A, to protect Harry Potter from Voldemort, B, to get revenge on the person who had caused his imprisonment, or C, to rendezvous with the love of his life, Nymphadora Tonks? <laughs> I, think, I think that's a solid A. To protect Harry Potter from Voldemort, Actually, it was to get revenge on Peter Pettigrew, who had caused his imprisonment. Man, I, speak, I spoke too soon. I should stop talking. All right. Well, you got. There's a, an extra question for you, just in case. And here it is. Okay. Okay. We're, we're tanking. So you got you got one more shot here to pull pull it out. And here it is. The Black family, like all wealthy wizarding households, had a house elf. What was the house elf's name? Was it A, Dobby, B, Creature, or C, Winky? All right, definitely Dobby. Dobby, Dobby, yeah, I go with Dobby. Definitely Creature. I saw like Dobby creature? was Dobby was a, <laughs> so who was, Dobby? Dobby was from a different house. Now all the I'm sure you know I'm gonna get people commenting in. How could you forget which house Dobby was from? I don't remember he where he originally was stationed, but the the black family house elf was named Creature and he hated Sirius Black. So there Oh man. Go. See I, I read all the books, but you wouldn't because well, uh, that was I hope bad, you guys do I hope you guys do better in the studio than you did with the Harry Potter quiz. <laughs> but, I don't know what you guys what are you guys recording in there today anyway? Um, so we are currently, we're recording, um, we're in the middle of recording One Piece today. Um, it's, it's just part of a project, um, that, uh, this label Parma Recordings, they do these occasional call for scores from, from composers. Ah, I see. They essentially choose about an album's worth of material, um, that gets compiled. And so we're kind of working our way through these pieces. We did a long session in uh, January where I think we recorded six pieces and we're doing another one today and two tomorrow. So I think it'll be a total of nine pieces. Wow. So it's, it's uh, a lot of music and stylistically it's all, it's all over the place. So the piece we're recording today is by a guy named Mark Edward, Mark Edwards Wilson. It's a piece called uh, dream cross twilight, which is a, a very cool piece, very cinematic and has kind of some, uh, yeah, just almost like impressionist vibes to it. Wow. So um, it's a lot of new music. Yeah, you guys are hardworking fellers. Well, I really appreciate you taking a few minutes to shoot the shit with me and 
and uh, dig into uh, where your music comes from. I know everybody's going to be interested in that, and I know I am. And uh, thanks again, boys. I hope I see you soon. All right. Apology to all the true Harry Potter fans out there. Great to see you in in person. (laughs) I hope so, Ron. (laughs) Yeah. hope so. Take care, you guys. Thanks again. I really appreciate it. Good luck in the studio the rest of the day. Bye-bye, Tracy. Wish I could catch you on the far end of that session where the beer lives. I know, man. I know. It's been too long. I know, man. The last time we had a beer together was in Stuttgart, I think, so. Yeah. It was either been there or, there or Kansas City. Yeah. yeah I can't maybe. remember which yeah. one was Alaska. most recent. Right. Yep. Fairbanks. Fairbanks, Alaska. Maybe it was. We've played in a lot of places together, haven't we? Yeah, we've had a few. Yeah. It's time for another, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, you boys. Take care. Thanks again. Appreciate it. Bye. Right. man. See ya. Thanks for listening. If you want to stay in touch, please join the For the Greater Groove Facebook group. See ya. Groove on.